this isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did Caesar live here? Um, no. I don't think so. I went to Vegas last weekend. Pretty crazy. Vegas, baby, Vegas! Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Why don't you give me half the money you were gonna bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 47 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host for this little podcast adventure to what I like to think of as one of the best cities on the planet, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we officially get things rolling, I want to take a moment to thank Dustin Wax of the Burlesque Hall of Fame Museum for joining me on the last episode of the show. Dustin was kind enough to take the time to share the story of this extremely unique Las Vegas attraction, as well as talk about the history, evolution, and recent resurgence in the popularity of the art form known as burlesque. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 46, The Full Reveal. Secondly, thanks to everyone who stuck with the podcast through the holiday break. I hope you all had an amazing Christmas, and I hope you enjoyed going back and listening to some of my favorite episodes from the past year. The upcoming year is going to be even bigger and better with lots of cool stuff planned for the podcast. So here's to an amazing 2020. All right, on with the show. This episode, it's another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. It's a recap and rundown of my most recent trip to Las Vegas from December 15th to December 19th, 2019, which was trip number eight of the year, making 2019 my most Vegasy year ever. My wife was along for the ride this time around as well, and this was her third Vegas trip of 2019, also making it her most Vegasy year ever. As in past reports, I'll run through all the highlights of the trip, including reviews of our hotel, the restaurants we ate at, shows we saw, and attractions we checked out. Being that this was my annual birthday trip, we went a little more all out than we usually would, so I've got a ton of stuff to cover in this episode. So without any further ado, let's do this. As usual, I'm going to begin with my hotel. This time around, we chose Bally's. I've stayed at Bally's numerous times, and I've never had a negative experience there. The location is amazing, being that you're pretty much mid-strip. The on-site amenities are fantastic, with lots of restaurants and bars, both inside the hotel and out front in the Grand Bazaar Market. And you've got easy access to all the other big strip resorts with the Paris right next door, Bellagio and Caesars Palace across the street, and the Cromwell and Flamingo just to the north. Bally's also has its own Las Vegas monorail station, so if you're choosing that method to get up and down the strip, you've got quick and easy access there. We'd booked a King Resort room and were given a room up on the 20th floor of the resort tower facing Las Vegas Boulevard and overlooking the Grand Bazaar Market. Normally, I don't like rooms facing the Strip, as I tend to find they're noisy, but this was set far enough back that we didn't really hear any of the noise from the Strip, other than the occasional siren. I should also note, this was my wife's first stay at Bally's in over three years, and she was really impressed with the renovations that they've made to the hotel, both in the casino and lobby areas, and in the room. 
as usual, the room was great. The bed was comfortable, the shower was awesome, and it was nice to still see a fridge in the room for guest use, as opposed to making it a mini bar, as I've seen at several other Vegas resorts I've stayed at. Again, my only complaint, and this runs across all the Caesars own properties, is the device limit on Wi-Fi usage. Caesar still limits you to two devices attached to the in-room Wi-Fi. And if you go over and above this, you'll get hit for an additional $14.95 per day. Honestly, if someone is paying $40 a day for a resort fee, they should be able to have as many devices online as they want, especially when the in-room Wi-Fi isn't really any better than the free Wi-Fi that anyone can connect to down in the casino. Overall, though, we had an awesome stay at Bally's, and it continues to remain at the top of my list for recommendations of where to stay in Las Vegas. Next, it's my favorite Las Vegas topic, food. This time around, in addition to the spots I like to visit each trip, my wife and I managed to take in quite a few new restaurants, including some awesome off-strip Thai and the longest-running steakhouse in Las Vegas. To begin, let's chat about our repeat spots. First off, Village Cafe at Ellis Island. I've reviewed Ellis Island numerous times in the past, specifically episodes 10, 24, 31, and 44. So feel free to jump into the archives and check out those reviews. However, this was my wife's first experience with Ellis Island, and now she's hooked. So much so, in fact, that we actually had two meals at Village Cafe this trip. My wife loved the fish and chips and the on-site brewed root beer, and it was a treat to get to sample the famous Ellis Island Holiday Nog, which is eggnog made with rum, bourbon, whiskey, and brandy. As usual, it was an awesome experience at Ellis Island, and my wife was super impressed with the quality and, most importantly, the price. Next up, Trustworthy Brewing Company and Barbecue at the Palazzo. I reviewed this place once before back in episode number 31 of the podcast, so for a full review, jump into the archives and take a listen there. This time around, my wife and I were just there for appetizers and a few drinks before heading over to see Atomic Saloon at the Venetian. We split an order of the deviled eggs. I had a what plain oatmeal stout, which was the same beer I had last time. And my wife created her own flight of beers at the recommendation of Dave, our bartender. Long story short, the deviled eggs were awesome and Dave's beer suggestions were right on point. Next up, Rira Irish Pub at Mandalay Bay. This place has become a regular haunt of mine when I'm in town and has replaced Nine Fine Irishmen as my go-to Irish pub on the Strip. However, this was my wife's first visit to Rira, and she absolutely loved it. She was impressed with the food, the service, and the atmosphere, and as I said back in my last trip report in episode 44, she thought it was authentically Irish, and it made her want to take a trip back to Dublin. And finally, Mon Ami Gabi at Paris. This will probably be the last time I hit up Mon Ami Gabi. I feel like the service and quality has really started to slip over the last couple of years. And it's not just me. My wife commented about this as well. The food just wasn't all that great. And the service felt extremely rushed, like they were really pushing to get us out. We went for breakfast. And honestly, if I didn't have the $15 birthday credit from the Lettuce Eats app, we likely wouldn't have gone there. As I say, I don't think I'll be back, and it's officially off my list of recommended spots for Vegas visitors. 
Now, on to the new-to-us restaurants that we took in on this trip. I'll start with La Pizza e La Pasta at Italy in the Park MGM. We did lunch there, and this place was awesome. The food, authentically Italian, with ingredients imported direct from Italy, and the pasta, freshly made on site. The menu is huge. Prices are reasonable, and the portion sizes are perfect. When you're eating pasta, it's pretty easy to end up feeling absolutely stuffed, but that definitely wasn't the case here. Also, to clarify, La Pizza e La Pasta is an actual restaurant inside the Italy complex and not one of the kiosks in the food hall. Those places still stress me out and I've yet to give that a try. Maybe next trip. Side note, I would recommend using Open Table to book a table. These Italy spots can get a bit crowded during peak lunch and supper times, so if you're planning a pre-show dinner or you're in a rush, definitely make a reservation. We also took a little jaunt downtown to meet up with a friend for dinner and checked out La Thai, which is located on Fremont Street, just east of the Fremont Street Experience. They promote themselves as the best Thai dining in Vegas, and I can see why. My wife had the Massaman curry with chicken, I had the stir-fry mixed vegetables with shrimp, and our friend had the chicken pad thai. We also split an order of the chicken satay to start. The food was absolutely delicious, and my wife said it was some of the best thai that she's ever had. If you're into Thai food at all, you absolutely need to try this place. I highly recommend it. They've got a massive menu. The service was incredible. The portions, very generous. And as with most off-strip places, the prices were extremely reasonable. Dinner for all three of us, including a tip, was only $55. Next up, my wife and I decided to do something for dinner that we haven't done in a very, very long time in Vegas. We hit up a buffet. And we did it in a big way with the Bacchanal Buffet at Caesars Palace, which is often looked upon as being the best buffet in Las Vegas. And I can totally see why. All I can really say is, wow, I've never seen anything like this place in my life. The selection was absolutely massive with pretty much anything and everything you could ever want to eat from Italian to American to pizza to seafood to Asian to Mexican to Carvery. It was incredible, almost to the point of being overwhelming. I really didn't know where to start, and I'm probably going to get hated on for saying this, but there was almost too much selection. That being said, the food I did sample was absolutely incredible. It all tasted fresh, everything was hot, and the presentation was amazing. I also enjoyed the way they set up mini dishes of certain items so that you were able to get a small sampling of multiple items. And for all the vegan, vegetarian, and gluten folks listening, there were lots of options for you with everything clearly labeled as to whether or not it met those criteria. Now, there are a couple of things I'd like to mention here regarding my buffet experience. First of all, all you can eat is just a saying. It's not meant as a challenge. Honestly, the amount of food that I saw people cramming onto their plates was bordering on disgusting. I'm not even exaggerating when I say I saw one group of four people who had no less than 10 plates of food sitting on their table. It was absolutely incredible. Secondly, I don't understand the fascination with crab's legs. That was literally the first thing people went after when they got inside. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love seafood. I love eating crab. And I get that crab's legs are generally the most expensive item on a restaurant menu, but it is a lot of work for very little meat. For me, 
it was all about the shrimp. I ate about two shrimp rings worth of shrimp in addition to everything else I scarfed down. Full disclosure on this one, I've mentioned in the past that I'm diamond tier with Caesars Rewards, and one of the benefits is an annual $100 celebration dinner, which can be used at several different spots across the Caesars properties, including the Bacchanal Buffet. To be honest, if I didn't have the diamond celebration dinner to use, and I wasn't able to skip the line with my diamond status, I don't know if I would have actually taken the plunge on Bacchanal Buffet, given that the regular price is somewhere between $50 and $60 a person, and the wait time to get in can be upwards of two to three hours. That being said, if buffets are your thing and you have not done Bacchanal Buffet, you absolutely 100% should try it. You will not regret it. Finally, saving the best for last, let's talk steak. Being that this was my birthday trip, I really wanted to treat myself to a fancy steak dinner. My initial plan was to try Gordon Ramsay's steak at the Paris, since I've heard such great things about the place. However, upon perusing the menu and seeing things like broccolini with broiled grapes and tofu bacon as one of the available sides, I just couldn't do it. Nothing about that seemed right. I wanted a real Las Vegas steakhouse experience, not broiled grapes and tofu bacon. My wife and I ended up at the Golden Steer, located just off the strip on Sahara Avenue. And I can tell you, it did not disappoint. Bit of history on this place. Golden Steer is Las Vegas' oldest steakhouse, established back in 1958. Back in the day, they counted the likes of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr. among their regular customers, and they've had the pleasure of serving meals to famous folks like Natalie Wood, Nat King Cole, Mario Andretti, and Elvis Presley. In fact, my wife and I spent the evening sitting in baseball legend Joe DiMaggio's booth. The Golden Steer has only ever had two owners and two chefs, with the current chef having been there for 37 years, and several of the staff members having been with the restaurant for over 20 years. The place feels old Vegas and absolutely oozes history. You can almost imagine the Rat Pack sitting in the corner booth enjoying a late-night meal following a show at the Sands. I can honestly say that this is possibly the best meal I've ever had in Las Vegas. The steaks were perfectly cooked, the sides absolutely delicious. The servers, amazingly attentive and took care of anything we needed. We actually had three servers looking after us over the course of the evening and all of them were fantastic. One thing to keep in mind though, if you do decide to give the Golden Steer a shot, it's not gonna be a cheap meal. All in for the steaks, the sides, the drinks, and dessert with a tip, this was a $250 meal. But for the quality, the service, and the experience, it is absolutely 100% worth every single penny. Next up, let's talk entertainment and attractions. My wife and I managed to cram a lot into this particular vacation, including a show relatively new to the Vegas Strip, a show that just celebrated 15 years on the Vegas Strip, and a show that just hit the 1,000 performance milestone on the Vegas Strip. Also, we hit up an attraction that I've talked about here on the podcast. Starting with the shows. First, I want to talk about Carrot Top at the Luxor. I've been a fan of Carrot Top for a very long time. I like his humor because, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, it's just so stupid. 
It's fast paced, it's prop comedy, and you don't have to think about it. It just makes you laugh. And if it doesn't make you laugh, before you know it, he's already moved on to the next joke. Caratop recently celebrated his 15th anniversary at the Luxor, and he just signed a contract extension to stay there for another five years. He's been on my radar to go see for a very long time, and really, I'm not sure why I didn't go see the show sooner. We bought somewhat last-minute discounted tickets from Vegas.com and ended up getting moved up to fill seats in the third row on the right-hand side of the stage. Honestly, though, even if we'd stayed in our original seats, I think we'd have been fine. Caratops Theater is a small, intimate venue that seats maybe 400 people, and there really isn't a bad seat in the house. He blew through a lot of his trademark prop comedy, including new jokes and some vintage stuff. He shared stories about his career and his time working and living in Las Vegas and wrapped it all up with a very cool and fun rock and roll montage. He also had a decent amount of crowd interaction, including sharing shots of Crown Royal with everyone sitting in the first row. I don't know if it's a show that I'd go back and see again and again, but overall, Caratop hosts a fun time and it's absolutely worth seeing him once. I'd give the show a solid 8 out of 10. Next, let's talk Atomic Saloon at the Venetian. Oh boy. Atomic Saloon is the latest offering from Spiegel World, the same company that brought you opium at the Cosmopolitan and the long-running Absinthe in the Big Ten outside Caesar's Palace. The venue is a former nightclub inside the Grand Canal shops at the Venetian, so it's not quite as intimate as the Absinthe tent, but it's still very, very cool. It's set up like an Old West saloon slash church slash brothel with chairs positioned around the circular stage in the middle, as well as church-like pews up on the actual stage for seating. My wife and I were up in a booth in the mezzanine, which I'd go as far to say was one of the best seats in the house. We had an amazing view of the entire performance area, which was great because at times there's a lot happening during the show and it can be really tough to take it all in. As for the show itself, it was fantastic. Aerial performances, singing, hula hoops and rings, tap dancing and comedy, all performed by an absolutely stellar cast that really clicks. There's also a fair bit of audience participation for the folks sitting in the lower level. So if you don't want to become a part of the show, I'd maybe recommend getting seats up in the mezzanine like we had. I'm also going to put this out there. Like the other Spiegel World shows, Atomic Saloon is not for the easily offended, and they make that clear right out of the gate with a song that had my wife and I laughing so hard that we were in tears, but the subject matter might not be for everyone. That being said, we didn't see anybody walk out of the show like we did at Absinthe. Honestly, though, I think Atomic Saloon is easily one of the best shows running in Vegas right now. Is it better than Absinthe? I'd say no, but it's easily as good as Absinthe. Definitely go check it out, but maybe consider leaving grandma at home for this one, unless your grandma is really, really cool with dick jokes. And finally, my wife and I were lucky enough to be guests of the Bronx Wanderers at The Link. For those not familiar, the Bronx Wanderers have been headlining the Las Vegas Strip for three years now and just celebrated their 1,000th Vegas show. They started off over at Bally's and recently made the move to the Matt Franco Theater at The Link. Fronted by dad Vinny Adonalfi, a recording industry legend in his own right, the band also features sons Nikki and Vin A, as well as several of Vin's high school friends. 
The show features a ton of great music from multiple decades, all of it instantly recognizable. The set bounces between Vinny's picks, like Dion's The Wanderer, Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline, and an awesome Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons medley, and music from the boys, like Rock This Town by the Stray Cats and Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. The band also did one of the best live renditions of Bohemian Rhapsody that I've ever heard. Vin A absolutely sings his balls off on that one. It's absolutely amazing. The show also featured Vinny sharing stories from his time in the recording industry and really highlighted how close the family is. And for the time that you're in the theater, you feel like you're part of that family too. I also have to say a big thanks to Vinny for the shout out from the stage and mentioning the podcast to the audience. Very cool to get that recognition. If you want to know more about the Bronx Wanderers, visit them online at thebronxwanderers.com. Also, I had a chance to sit and chat with Vin A on my trip to Vegas back in November. We talked about what it's like performing and touring with family, what it takes to keep a show alive in Vegas, what life in Vegas is like, and much more. I'm going to have that conversation in an upcoming episode of the podcast. As for attractions on this trip, my wife and I made the trek over to the Neon Museum to check out Brilliant, which is their fully immersive sound and light show. Brilliant uses LED projectors to light up several old Las Vegas neon signs to make them look the way they did when they were originally on display at their respective hotels. There were signs from the Lady Luck Casino, the Stardust, the Liberace Museum, and many others. The show also includes music from vintage Vegas periods, which really added to the experience. However, something we didn't realize when we were buying our tickets was that Brilliant is a separate experience from the Boneyard, where a majority of the Neon Museum's collection is on display. So be sure to keep that in mind when you're deciding what you want to visit. Overall, though, Brilliant is a very cool experience, and I would highly recommend checking it out for a little of that old Vegas feeling. And if you want to know more about the Neon Museum's history, make sure you check out episode number 40 of the podcast, Bright Lights, Big City, which you can find in the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, I'm just about finished, but before I close things out, as always, I want to wrap up with a few random thoughts. First off, I've discovered that as much as I love my wife, she is officially bad luck when it comes to me playing the slots. I'm not even exaggerating when I say that if she was standing there watching me play, I'd start losing. But if she walked away, I'd start winning. And the further away she walked, the better I'd do. Secondly, the pigeons in Las Vegas are better behaved than the tourists. Outside Treasure Island, my wife and I literally watched a pigeon wait for the walk light to come on, and then it crossed the street walking on the crosswalk. I shit you not. Third, there are three major trends happening in Las Vegas right now. Gelato shops are popping up everywhere. Deviled eggs are on pretty much every restaurant's menu. And candy shops in Vegas have never been more popular, with several new ones opening up in recent months, including the brand new and very cool, massive I Love Sugar shop on the Link Promenade. And last but not least, I have to say, the week before Christmas is a great time to head to Las Vegas. Hotel rates are ridiculously low and the crowds are light, making it super easy to get into restaurants, shows, and attractions. That being said, if you have a specific restaurant or show in mind, check before you go to make sure that it's open. They often use the quiet time to go dark 
and don't reopen until right before Christmas. And that brings to a close another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you're looking for suggestions for your own Vegas vacation, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, or drop me an email direct at Jeff at WalkerNewMedia.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. Make sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes, including links to all the shows, restaurants, and attractions mentioned in this episode of the podcast. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 47 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast.